So as we begin reading in John chapter 13 and verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I remember when I had made the decision to go off to Bible college, I remember talking to my pastor at the time. I said, one of my biggest fears is that I'm going to get out to Bible college, I'm going to be in the middle of Bible college, and the Lord's going to return. And I will have never made it to the ministry. If He's going to return in the next few years, wouldn't it be better if I just went out and started trying to minister to people? But I first told him, I said, I'm worried that the Lord's going to come back while I'm still in Bible college. He said, wouldn't that be awesome? He said, what better thing to be doing when the Lord comes back than studying His Word and preparing for service? And I was looking at it more like I want to, I need to get to where I can do the service. And I was reminded of that this week as I looked at the passage. Peter wants to go with the Lord. Jesus has told him, I'm leaving and you can't come with me yet. Peter's saying, look, I want to go with you. I'm willing to die if that's what it takes to go with you. And there's a little bit of confusion in Peter's mind of what is the best. Because actually it is Jesus' time. Jesus says it's time for Him to be glorified and God will be glorified in the Son. And the Son will be glorified through this. And this is all for the glory of God. And, and we are at that point where Jesus had said before, a few hours, my time has not yet come. It's not my hour. Now it's at the point where now the hour is here. My time has come. It's time for me to be glorified. But you know, for Peter and the rest of the apostles, it's time for them to stay. And their staying is also going to lead to the glory of God because Jesus is going to continue the ministry that He started on this earth. He is going to continue through the apostles as He laid the foundation work for establishing the church. And so while it was the glory of God for Jesus to die on the cross and then to depart, it's for the glory of God that the apostles stay and serve God in this way. And we were recognizing that last week. We were focusing on pursuing the glory of God in our own lives. We saw three reasons for that. We dealt with two of them. One is that we fail. The apostles had shown their failure in the fact that Jesus was one that ended up having to wash everybody's feet. And they were fighting over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God when they should have been humbled before each other and humbled before the Lord. And so we see their failure and recognize that we can see the same types of things in our lives. But then we also pointed out that Christ succeeds in all these things. He succeeds in bringing God the glory. And He's going to succeed in laying down His life for us and bringing us the eternal salvation that He came to accomplish. He succeeded in humbling Himself and washing the feet of the apostles. But then we came to the very last point, and we did not spend any time on this, and that is that love demonstrates the glory of God. We're going to consider this morning the glory of love. You see, for Jesus, love would mean going to the cross. For the disciples, it's going to mean continuing on on this earth in ministry. But that needed to happen within the context of love for one another. Love for one another is not what they've been demonstrating in their argument over who's greatest. Love for one another is not what they did when they walked by the bowl and the towel, leaving it up to somebody else can wash everybody's feet. But love is what's going to need to happen for the church to get established and to grow in the ministry of Christ to continue and flourish on this world. And thankfully, the apostles got the hint, and not that they would go on and love perfectly in their life, but love one another they would. And the church would grow in that love. Well, as we look at it here this morning, we're going to focus on three different qualities that are within love. The three qualities of love 
as listed in this passage are, first of all, that love preserves. Notice he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, how is this a, a new commandment? It is a new commandment in a sense, but yet it, it's also an old commandment. Right? In fact, when we think of the love that we're supposed to have in this world, we're supposed to have love for God, first of, of all, love for others, second of all. That's not new. That goes all the way back to the time of Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses would say to Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And then in Leviticus chapter 19, still within the writing of Moses, in verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Did he slip Jesus' mind? Did he not remember that those commands were already given? No, we know that because in Matthew chapter 22, when he was asked about the law, what is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus was well aware that this is not a new commandment as in more recent in time. What exactly does he mean then? Is it kind of like one of those situations where they say, rule number one is you do this, and rule number two is you go back to rule number one, that the love is the, is the commandment and we're not going to get away from it? Love was like the two greatest commandments given to Israel in the Old Testament. By loving God, you fulfill the first four of the Ten Commandments, having no other gods before me, not worshiping other gods, no graven images, keeping the Sabbath, and not taking God's name in vain. And by loving your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the other six commandments that are directed toward people. And so as Jesus would even say on occasion, all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this one command, love. So then what does he mean by new commandment? This word new in the Greek doesn't mean new as in recent. It means new as in fresh. New as in not worn out. In other words, all the, with all the mileage that love should have on it by the time you get from clear back at the time of Moses all the way to the time of Christ, love is still a fresh command. It's still a new command. It's not worn out. It's not an old-fashioned idea. It is fresh. It is real. And that's the point that he's making. And that's why our first point is that love preserves. It's constantly new. It's, it's constantly fresh. It's not old hat. And that's why every generation through the history of the world and on up till now and will go on into perpetuity into the future, we sing about love and we write poems and plays about love and we act out dramas about love. And love is always a primary theme. Love is what people are always looking for, whether they look for it well or look for it poorly. It never gets distasteful or runs out. It gets misunderstood and misdirected, but it is always pursued. And that's why the Apostle Paul, also in his writing of 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, after spending the first 12 verses on the importance and priority of love, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The context of that statement is the Corinthian church had a bunch of people in it, kind of like the early apostles at this night of this dinner. You remember the apostles at the night of the dinner have this argument going on about who's going to be the greatest. The Corinthians are kind of exalting themselves one over another through these spiritual gifts. And, and it's kind of interesting because what they end up focused on largely is this gift of tongues. Tongues, which is, uh, I believe, around for the formative time of the foundation layer of the church and then in and of itself faded off the scene. I don't believe it a thing for today. 
But they were exalting themselves by the use of tongues, showing themselves to be uh, extra spiritual. And the Apostle Paul is writing to them. And he's saying, look, you guys are totally missing the point about spiritual gifts. First of all, spiritual gifts are about meeting other people's needs, ministering to other people, not yourself. And he found it ironic. He said, you know what? You've actually picked the least valuable of all the spiritual gifts to exalt and to hold up and say, look at me. Well, maybe that's fitting because it's kind of the least valuable motive in saying, look at me. In dealing with spiritual gifts, he'd boil it down to this. He'd say, look, if you want to evaluate yourself, how you're doing spiritually in your relationship before God, here's the things that you look at. And now abide faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love never fails. Love never wears out. It's always preserved. It's always the greatest command. In that sense, it's always fresh. You know, in First John, I counted him up yesterday. I think he used between the word love, loves, and loved. He uses that word 35 times in that short epistle. Jer- Jerome, who translated the Bible from Greek into Latin, he quotes John as somebody asking the Apostle John, why are you always saying, little children, I give you a new commandment, love one another? And the Apostle John's response to the people that asked him that question was, well, because that is the precept of the Lord. And if that's the only thing you get right, it will have been enough. John definitely has a focus on love. In, in this Gospel that we're looking at, in the first 12 chapters, he's mentioned love uh, 11 times. In the next chapters, from chapter 13, where we are now on up to the end of the book, he will use the word 44 times. It's a prominent theme within John. Well, in John, 1 John 3.11, he says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is the message that we've heard when? From the beginning. In other words, it's not new in that sense. It's old. It's old in time. In Second uh, John chapter 1, and verse 5, he says, Now I ask you, dear lady, and dear lady is probably actually referring to a local church, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And so John, in, in these two epistles, acknowledged that, you know what, this command has been with us a long time. It's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment. We've had it from the beginning. But back in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7-11, through 11, one commentator even put it this way. I love the way that he, he did it. He said, you know, in the Gospel of John, John gave us, Jesus given us the new commandment of loving one another. And he says in, in the first epistle of John, he provides a commentary on exactly what that means. And it looks like that's what's happening here in these verses. He says, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. And so he's writing to him in 1 John, and it's going to be the same commandment. And he says, look, this is no new commandment. It's an old commandment. We've had it from the beginning. But yet at the same time, it is a new commandment. What makes the difference? I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and I in him, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
And so John elaborates on this and he says, look, it is an old command that we've had from the beginning, but at the same time it is a new command. And how is it a new command? It's a new command because of the work of Christ in our life, the influence of Christ upon us. And so in one way, the the love of God is preserved. It's constantly fresh. It's constantly new in that way. It is never wore out. It's always effective and always what we need. But even maybe now to a greater level than it was in the past. Why is it new now? Because the darkness is fading. The true light has come, which is obviously referring to Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, you receive the light. You are brought from darkness to light, the Bible tells us. And then the Holy Spirit comes to live with inside you and indwell you and empower you. And so now the love of God is deeper in your life. It's more fresh. You know, when you look at the Old Testament, there was a time in Israel's history under the prophet Jeremiah when God says, you know what, Israel, you violated the covenant. But God can no more talk about their violation of that covenant as He starts promising a new covenant. And in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31 through 34, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God says, you broke, you violated the old covenant, but I'm promising that one of these days I'm going to come with a new covenant and I'm going to write my law on your heart. It's not going to be on tablets of stone. It's going to be written right in you. Ezekiel would prophesy similar. He says in chapter 11, verses 19 and 20, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in My statutes and keep My rules and obey them, and they shall be My people, and I will be their God. Joel, in chapter 2, verses 28-31, through 31, also would say, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out My Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, in Acts chapter 2, Peter would stand up at the day of Pentecost after you see the miraculous signs of the Spirit around them. And he would stand up and say, this is a fulfillment of what Joel was telling us right here. And he would quote from this passage in Joel. At the same time, we look and we can see that some things within the passage are not until later. Jesus told us at the end of this age that you would see the moon turn to blood and the sun darken. So it's clearly in the future. But Peter looks at the promise of it and God writing His Word on our hearts and he says, that is what you're seeing on the day of Pentecost. And so it's kind of one of those already but not yet things. Has this been fulfilled or has it not? Well, yes and no. Some of it has and some of it hasn't. The completion of it is coming in the future, but part of it we experience now through the Holy Spirit coming to indwell us. And so in that sense, 
it can be a new commandment because we should be able to experience love now with the Holy Spirit indwelling us greater than we've ever been able to experience love in the past. And these apostles that are going to be told very shortly, wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you're going to receive power from on high. They're going to wait from that and then love is going to seem very new, a whole new freshness to it, a new ability to pursue it. And that's the time that we live in. I think that might be why as you continue on into the Gospel of John a little farther, you see him talking about those two things, love and the coming of the Spirit. Because Jesus is telling them, I'm going away, but the Spirit's going to come. We're going to come and make our home with you and in you. And right within this context of love. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In chapter 14 and verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And in verses 23 and 24, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Repeatedly, as we go forward into chapter 14, there's a very prominent theme. Jesus says, you love me, you'll keep my commands. The Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell in you and help you to experience at a greater level the depth of God's love. And so, love preserves the old commandment to love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves, as was given in the Old Testament, is not old. It's forever new. And it's new to a new degree that we, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as we consider even the fruits of the Holy Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, notice the very first one to make the list, love. And so that we have the ability, because of the Holy Spirit working within us, to experience that love in a very fresh way. Love is never out of date. It's never wore out. It is always part of our experience with God and needs to be part of our experience with others. Well, not only do we see the first quality that love preserves, but love also patterns. Love patterns. The reason that we say that is because he says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Some commentators also would indicate that maybe this is why it's fresh. Maybe this is why it's not wore out, because Jesus has just given them a fresh example of it, a fresh demonstration of that love through washing the disciples' feet. And so maybe in that way also that it's not worn out as well. But we do see that pattern in Jesus Christ. We see Jesus' love for the disciples in washing their feet. We see Jesus' love for even Judas Iscariot as Jesus gave him a prominent place and then dipped his bread, which was a gesture of kindness to a guest as he offered that morsel to Judas. But he's about to do the greatest one yet. And that is the example of going to the cross on our behalf. Now, the cross is much more than that because the cross is an actual payment for our sins. But the cross is also a demonstration of the love of God for us. You know, this passage begins and ends with love. It just permeates this part of Scripture. In John chapter 13 and verse 1, he says, Before the feast of the Passover, 
when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. When we get into John chapter 15, He'll say, This is My commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, demonstrating that pattern. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are My friends if you do what I command you. And so we see this awesome example of Christ saying, look, I'm the pattern. Follow this pattern. I washed your feet. You wash one another's feet. I'm laying down my life for you. You lay down your lives for one another. I served you. You serve one another. I loved you to the end. Now be that for each other. And then not only do we see the love patterns or the pattern of love as demonstrated by Christ, but we also see that love proves. Proves. He says, by this... By this one thing, all people will know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. He says, look, this is, this is what's really going to demonstrate it. I read a story of a missionary recently. And he was in an area that he was trying and trying and trying to constantly preach in the gospel and sharing his faith and trying to bring people to Christ. And it was just falling completely flat. It wasn't no impact in the society. No, no converts. No... And there were a few Christians in the area. And he put, that, he put out this challenge to him upon reading this passage. He put out this challenge to him and he said, you know what? Maybe we need to learn how to love one another. And a, a number of people responded. And of, of the people that responded, uh, he said, look, this is the challenge. We're all going to rent a home together. And these people were people of different backgrounds and things like that. And so there was some different uh, cultures that they were from, that they were part of. And uh, he said, let's do this. He says, um, we're all going to rent a place and we're all going to move in together and we're going to live together for seven months. And we're going to ask God to teach us how to love each other. And they did. They moved in. And as you can imagine, people coming from different cultures and different understandings and things like that, of different things, uh, it wasn't very long before they started to run into conflicts. And they prayed. And they asked God, help us to solve these conflicts. And they, but over seven months' time, they learned how to put one another first. And they, I think they probably moved back to their own homes after that. I'm not sure what happened as far as their living situation after that. But I do know this, that all of a sudden they started making an impact into their community with the gospel. And what was the difference? What, what made the impact? What made the difference? You know, the community at large referred to them as those people that love each other, that live over there. Those people that love each other. Love love for one another and love with inside, especially the family of God, is what ought to be accepted. I remember when I was when we were raising our kids, every once in a while we would tell our kids because they get in a squabble over this or that or just be constantly bumping heads over something or whatever. And I'd tell them, look, you family, you need to stop this. Family is what you have forever. Friends may come and go, but family you got forever. You're always going to be brothers. You're always going to be sisters. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling His disciples. He's saying, look, in our family, this is love is the key thing. That's what we're going, that's what we're going by. You know, it's a good measure. In fact, uh, I think it was John MacArthur. He said, you know what? God gave the unbelieving world permission to judge us according to this standard. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By your love for another. He invites the world to peek in. 
and say, are they genuine Christians or are they hypocrites? And the world does like to call us hypocrites, for sure. But why would he give up such a test like that? Well, because it is a test. It does demonstrate the reality of our faith. 1 John chapter 3, and verse 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Everyone who does not love abides in death. You know, the, the epistle of 1 John is all about testing us. It's saying you say that you believe in Christ. If you believe in Christ, then there's certain things that are going to be in your life. If those things are not in your life, then neither is Christ. And he uses very blunt language about it. Sometimes he says, you're a liar. If you say that you believe in Christ, but this is not part of your experience, part of your life in Him. And in this verse here, he says, we know that we've passed out of death and into life because of love. Because we love the brothers. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. In 1 John, he would say that God is love. And so if God is love, how can we say we have God in our life if we don't demonstrate that love to other people? It's impossible. But as Jesus said, by this one thing, shall all people know that you're my disciples by your love that you have one for another. You know, the early church, they did all right at this. They had their ups and downs, as you can see from some of the epistles. But they did end up being a body of people that knew how to love. Different quotes that we have from history. Minutius Felix said they love each other even without being acquainted with each other. I remember reading, I tried to find it, but I can't remember where I wrote the note down. That's the thing with notes. You write notes to remember stuff, and, but you got to remember where you wrote it. But uh, from back at Bible college, when I was going through Baptist Heritage, there was a statement by somebody, and that's what I can't remember who it was, but he made this statement about Christians, and he was no Christian. He said, they love each other before they even meet. And that's what stood out to the pagan world about Christians. Julian, Julian, who was no Christian who was a a skeptic, he said their master has implanted the belief in them that they are all brethren. They all consider one another to be family. Tertullian, one of the early church leaders, lived from A.D. 155 to A.D. 220. He said the heathen were wont to exclaim with astonishment, Behold how these Christians love one another and how they are ready to die for one another. Tertullian said the pagan world around them saw within the church a love for each other and they were amazed by it. Amazed by it. You know, I was listening to a podcast on Christian history a while back, a year or two ago. And that was one of the things that he pointed out, things that stood out about the Christian to the pagan societies. Because when you'd have something happen like a plague and people were dying, the Christians would go in to care for the sick even though they might catch it. And the Christians, in fact, went in and cared for their own people. But they even went beyond that and they cared for 
other people that were not part of the Christian belief. They would go into the pagans' family when the pagans wouldn't, risking their lives for other people. But you know what? The early church has had its day. It's our day now. It's our time. It's almost 2,000 years later. This idea of love, this command of love, is it wore out? No. It's as fresh as the day it was given. It preserves. We have a pattern that we can see clearly in Christ that is laid out for us and it proves whether or not our faith is real. That's the glory of love.